you have your Bible tonight, I want to ask you to turn with us to the book of Mark, chapter number 10. I want to begin reading tonight in the 32nd verse. Mark 10, 32 this evening. Mark 10, 32. We know that the Lord Jesus has just dealt with a situation where a rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And you remember the outcome of that situation when the Lord told him, he said, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. In other words, if you're going to, Call me good master, that means that you're admitting that I'm God and you're admitting that you're a sinner. And if you look, the next time the young man spoke, he just called him master. He didn't call him good master. He wasn't recognizing the fact that Jesus was God. And the Lord told him, he said, you know the commandments. And the young man's specific ones, he said, I've kept all these from my youth up. And Jesus said, Oh, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and take up your cross and follow me. And the young man was sad and grieved because he had great possessions and he couldn't do it. And we heard the Lord say, it is easier for a camel to go through the eyes of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus went into a discourse that talked about how hard it is for those that have riches we know that those that trust in riches, they can't, amen? But he's not saying that a rich man can't get into the kingdom of heaven. Job was a rich man. Abraham was a rich man. David was a rich man. Surely Solomon was a rich man. What he's saying is you must trust me and not your riches for salvation. Jesus was standing there and Simon Peter said, Lord, we've left all. Look with me, just jump back to verse 28. We've left all and we followed thee. And the Lord said, no man that's, that's left houses or lands or family in this life for my sake in the Gospels, but that he would be rewarded a hundredfold in this life and in the world to come, eternal life. And I'm telling you the returns of serving Jesus Christ, that's not why we do it, but the returns of serving Jesus Christ are 10,000% according to what Jesus just said in other words, they're out of this world. Amen? Now, we come to verse 32. And the Bible says, And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. They shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. I want to preach on this thought from those verses. The course to the cross. Jesus has been threatened. Uh, he was told if he comes back to Jerusalem, they're going to do him in. 
And the Lord knew it wasn't his time yet. He's not shirking or lurking or hiding, but he's out doing his business that he needed to do, serving the will of the Father. And when the moment and the time was right, Jesus set his face, Luke 9, 51, he set his face steadfastly going to Jerusalem. He's going there to die on the cross. The Passover is approaching. And Jesus, the Bible says in verse 32, that and they were in the way going to Jerusalem that Jesus went before them. May I say tonight that Jesus has gone before us. And to me, Jesus is my hero. Somebody asked me the other day at the school, said, Preacher Aaron, who's your hero? Is it LeBron James? <laughs> no, sorry, LeBron. Is it Michael Jordan? Absolutely not. Oh, it must be a Clemson ball player. No. You want to know who my hero is? My hero is Jesus. You have put your faith and your stock in any man or woman or any system, it'll fail you. But if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he has never, ever lost a battle. He is the all-time undefeated champion. You may say, Preacher Darren, we believe that he lost on Calvary. Oh, it looks like he lost, but he won, amen. Because on the third day, death could not hold him, amen. And the grave had to release him, hallelujah. So tonight, Jesus is my hero. There is no greater heroic person that's ever lived on this earth other than my Savior, Jesus Christ. In the face of great danger, he meets the challenge head on every time. In the middle of difficulty, he is noble. He is mighty and valiant when he is surrounded by opposition. He is not weak, nor will he ever be weak. Rather than return to safely, safety, when he knew that trouble was approaching him and facing him, y'all, he presses forward into it with the risk and the peril of his very own life. My Savior is bold. He is fearless. He is daring when confronted by this life's threats. He advances forward. Hallelujah. Jesus, my hero, Gave his life for me. LeBron didn't do it. Michael didn't do it. The president, Joe, didn't do it. And Donald didn't do it either. But honey, Jesus gave his life for me. And nobody has ever cared for me like Jesus. Amen. May I say he knew the danger. You'll never know anybody that knows the danger that surrounds us just like Jesus does. Yet he presses forward. He's going towards Jerusalem knowing what lies ahead. It won't come upon him as an accident or surprise. Oh no, when did you ever get a hold of this idea? Did you know that Jesus has never been surprised? Amen. You just can't do it. He's going ahead without hesitation, y'all. He's pressing forward. Oh, how we should admire and love and worship our dear Savior. When I look in this text, then I want to see three things. Number one, I want to see focused determination. And they were in the way going up 
to Jerusalem. They're on their way up to Jerusalem. From where they are, uh, they're going to have to climb maybe 3,000 or 4,000 feet in altitude. This will be done over the course of 20 to 35 miles, depending on who you research after. He's traveling up this winding road on foot, headed towards Jerusalem. Why? He's going to celebrate the Passover. What is the Passover, preacher Darren? You remember when Egypt was in bondage, when they were in oppression and affliction. 400 years, they cried out for God to send a deliverer. And Moses was the one he raised up. Moses thought he'd do it himself. But God said, I've got a better plan, amen. There they were, and he said, I want you to take a lamb. And I want you to shed his blood. And I want you to put the blood upon the doorposts, two places, and upon the lintel, one, two, three, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, amen. And he said, that night when I pass by, when I see the blood that you've applied by faith, I will pass over you and to every home that had faith in God to apply the blood of the Lamb upon the doorpost and lintel, the Lord God passed over them. But to every home that laughed and said, oh, this is a, old-fashioned religion. I'm not having any of that. You can't force that stuff on me. If they didn't put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, God went in there and the firstborn of every household was slain. There's a grievous cry over Egypt that night because they didn't believe God when he said, I'm looking for the blood. Youngins, I'm telling you, what he's looking for here tonight, he's looking for the blood to have been applied to your life, amen. It is on the doorpost and the lintel of your soul. May I ask you that tonight, trying to get personal with you, amen. So every year they're commanded to observe the Passover. They've got to go back to Jerusalem to observe that there. And they're being reminded every year, youngins, there is power in the blood. Amen. Now Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. But may I say the Passover is not just looking back. It's also looking ahead. Because it said one day uh, the Messiah is coming. Uh, not only are you in bondage to Egypt, but you're in bondage to sin. Amen. And he's coming for those that's applied the blood. Amen. To take us out of this old sin-cursed earth. Look down that path tonight on verse 32. Look down that path and see who's going before us. His name is Jesus. He's going to give his life. He's going to shed his blood to deliver those who look to him to save them from their sin. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus knows all things. He is omniscient God. Amen. He knows his hour is fast approaching. He knows that he himself, he is the Lamb of God that will shed his blood to wash away the sins or to take away the sins of the world. On the cross, Jesus will lay down his life for our sins. Honey, he is entirely aware of everything that's going on. He knows about every threat, but their threats can't touch him. They're not going to take his life. He's going to give it. Amen, right there, amen. Now listen to me. He knows the hour has come for him to die and he continues to move forward 
into the will of God. Verse 32 again, Jesus went before them. Normally, Jesus would walk with his disciples. Oh, maybe he would have a forefront of a foot or two, but they're around him, close by, so when he speaks, uh, they can hear him, amen. But I believe in this text, uh, for some reason, Jesus has intentionally moved out ahead of those disciples. This is very significant tonight. The Bible says in verse 32 that when he went before them this time, they were amazed. As, and as they followed, they were afraid. They said something is different this time. We are noting the seriousness of the situation. We don't understand exactly what's happening. He's headed back to Jerusalem. He must be troubled ter terribly because he knows the threats and he's uh, going that way anyway. Can you just imagine Thomas back there saying, boys, we're saying this ain't looking too good. He must have been a Baptist. Boys, this ain't looking. What are we going to do? I guess we'll follow him to the death. There he goes. Don't he realize what he's doing? Let me just tell you, this to me describes my hero. His unwavering determination He's not going towards the cross slowly. There's no hesitation. He's not dragging his feet with delay like you or me would do if you knew you had something uh, you were going to face, something you had to do. You'd surely try to take the low way out or, or the hider's way out or the, or the weak way out, but not Jesus, honey. He is so brisk. He is moving forward. His disciples are absolutely shocked and stunned and said, hey, something's going on. He's not moving slowly. He's actually picked up the pace a little bit, amen. Woo! He's a pressing forward with braveness and courage. He is filled with valor. He's got determination. He's got resolve and resolution. And the Bible, listen now, the Bible says Jesus went before them. Let's stop to realize as he's going before them, he's alone. He's alone with God. The Bible doesn't tell us what his thoughts were, what he specifically prayed. But don't you know what was on his mind was that cross. Oh, not the pain of the cross or the shame of the cross. It was you. It was me. He was a thinking about us. Woo! And his own disciples left a few paces behind because he's getting on down the highway to go see about David and to go see about Darren and to go see about Canaan. He's a going to the cross for you and me, amen. Notice with me his focused determination, amen. He's going to accomplish the will of God. Jesus is hastening towards the cross. He is undaunted. He is unfaltering. He is unrelenting. He is unwavering. This is his purpose. This is why he came. And there he goes. He's going to lay down his life, a ransom for our sins. And he will not be deterred, nor will he be detoured. There are probably others on this road on their way to Jerusalem to keep the Passover besides Jesus who's gone before them, besides his 12 disciples. There's no doubt other travelers on this road that are observing Jesus moving forward alone. It is a witness then to me 
And it says, this is what God I got. This is a testimony to me. We are to walk as Jesus walked. Now hold your Bible here. Let's go over to 1 John chapter 2. And I'm not lifting this out of context. 1 John chapter 2. I want you to see verse number 6. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6. Our Bible says, He that saith, he abideth in him. Now tonight, how many people saved? Are you saved? Has the blood been applied? Is it on your soul tonight? Amen. Are you on your way to heaven? If you're abiding in him, this verse is for you. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. If my Savior was walking unwavering, without hesitation, hold a walk the same way. If my Savior was walking in courage and he was walking in valor, I ought to walk the same way. You see, here's the thing. My hero lives in me. I hope you can see him, amen. Lord, I got him, get tore up. We ought to have a fixed determination about us to pursue the will of God for our lives. We're not to pursue the will of God reluctantly. We're not to pursue the will of God dragging our feet. But we're to pursue the will of God with immediate obedience and with steadfast resolve. It is how we ought to press forward into the will of God every day of our life. You ought to walk in this church just that away. You ought to go to your job just that away rather than saying, oh man, it's time to make the donuts. You ought to go in and say, this is the will of God. He's given me air to breathe and a life to live and strength today and let me go and work that my family might have something to eat and I'm going to go in and I'm going to serve God and see what God's going to do for me as I live for Him today. You ought to walk as He walked. Oh my it's how every one of us should be moving forward. Listen, you should not be redirected to any other course. Jesus was not deterred, nor was he detoured. He was not directed any other way other than what God told him. May I say tonight, our Lord, my hero, is our example. Number two, when I look at this text, I see the future disclosed. We're still in verse 32 They've noticed he's moved ahead of them briskly a few paces. And I think quickly they decided we're afraid. We're scared back here by ourselves. You know what we better do? We better catch up to him. There's a danger of a lagging too far behind him. Not proceeding into the will of God. Because let me tell you something. Those 12 boys, you know why they're amazed? You know why they have fear? They know the threats at Jerusalem. And they know they've identified themselves with Jesus and what he faces, they may face. And so they're a lagging behind and all of a sudden, while there's a lagging, they thought, you know what, it may not even be safe on this road. We better catch up to him. May I say to you tonight, amen, the best thing you'll ever do is get a little closer to Jesus than you are tonight. I challenge you, what can I do to get closer to Jesus tonight than I was when I came in this place? The Bible says... As they followed, they were afraid. We're in verse 32. And he took again the 12. In other words, they catch up. He took again the 12 and began to tell them what things 
should happen to him. Now the future, number two, is being disclosed. He's, he knows exactly what's going to happen. He's the omniscient, all-knowing God. And he has disclosed future happenings to his disciples before. There are other occasions that he shared this, but he's wanting them to know so that they won't be caught off guard, that they won't be unaware, that they could not be able to say, Lord, you didn't tell me. Honey, if it's not so, he would have told us. Amen? They, they can't say that. He wants them to know that this is not some accident or some plan of the devil to overtake him. This is the will of God. So when it happens, young men, when it happens, you're going to know that it was predetermined of God. Jesus, I think, sensed their tension. He knew about their anxious amazement. Do you know tonight, he knows about what you're anxious about. He, he, he wants to speak to comfort you. He, he tells them specifically what's waiting for him in Jerusalem and it's going to involve him. And listen, this is the will of God and he's pressing forward. He's not retreating. He's not going left or right. Nothing catches Jesus by surprise. Jesus has no panic, but he has plans. And he lays out the plan for the future. Your Bible, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, preacher Darren, does God know what's going on in my life right now? Oh, well, let's just read what the Word of God says in Jeremiah chapter 29 and look at verse number 11 as he describes your future, amen, if you'll trust him. Jeremiah 29 and verse number 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Preacher, it sounds like to me he's going to kill me. No, it sounds like to me he's going to walk with you for the rest of your days. And when it's time for you to leave here, he's going to pull your soul right out of your body so the grave and death has no victory. And he's going to say, since we've been walking together, it's closer to my house than it is to stay at yours. Whoop! And in a moment, he's going to take you on home to be with him. Amen? Now let's preacher dear, and that's old. I have some people that email me sometimes and say, Preacher, that's Old Testament. Let me give you some New Testament. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2. What a great chapter Ephesians chapter 2 is. How many of you know that? Amen. Ephesians chapter 2. That's our for by grace are you saved through faith chapter. Amen. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But look at verse 10. Ephesians 2 10. Would you look there? For we are his workmanship. Now, watch this. Created in Christ Jesus under good works, comma, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, here's the, here's the thing. Jesus sees the future. Let me see. Jesus knows the future because he's ordained the future. <laughs> oh my soul, you get a hold of that. Amen, that'll run the devil backwards, amen. God's already ordained how it's supposed to be. Just step into it, amen, and walk the way he walked right into your future with him, amen. 
Amen. Jesus is making, go back to our text, this disclosure to his disciples to strengthen them. If he's trying to strengthen them, then we too should be strengthened from the words of our Lord to know he has a future that we can trust him with. And he wants us to step into it, amen. He knows the entirety of our future. And I'm just going to say it like this. I'm going to leave it up to my hero to direct the rest of my days. I think I'll just go with God, amen. Thirdly, and I'll be done. We go to our text. We see the fixed details. The Lord gives details here about these things that are upcoming. In fact, he's done it before. Uh, I won't go all the way through the New Testament. Let's just look in the book of Mark. Look at Mark chapter number 8. Mark chapter number 8. We've preached through these verses already, but look at verse 31. Mark 8, 31. For the first time in the book of Mark, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders of the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So he told them. They didn't grasp it real good because Peter took him and rebuked him. And the Lord told him, he said, look, the Lord told him, he said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you savor not the things of God, but the things that be of men. He didn't get it. So in chapter 9, the Lord mentions it again. So it don't catch them unaware. Mark 9, 31, for he taught his disciples and said unto them, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. That's the second time he told them. And now here we are tonight reading in Mark 10 in verses 33 and 34 again and with more detail the third time. More detail. I mean this is one of the most specific detailed events that the Lord has ever shared. Now I want you to think here. What's he doing? He says we go up, verse 33, we go up to Jerusalem. I told you about the ascent, how many miles it is. We go up. Listen. He knows where they are is low country and Jerusalem's up on a hill, up on a high mountain. And he knows we go, listen, the word we, pronoun, we, that means all of us, you and him together. He's not going up there alone. What he's saying is the plan involves you. Hey, Bethel, the plan of God involves you. Hallelujah to God. Boy, I feel that arcing in my soul. And this should get their attention. Quickly, let's look at it. Jesus gives eight future tense verbs to describe things in the future. Future tense verbs, action. Look with me. The Son of Man shall be delivered. There we go. Under the chief priests and the elders. They shall condemn him to death. Thirdly, they shall deliver him to the Gentiles. Fourthly, they shall mock him. Fifthly, they shall scourge him. Sixthly, they shall spit on him. Seventhly, they shall kill him. Eighthly, how many of y'all know what the number eight means? New beginnings. The number eight, look at the eighth one. And look with me, he shall rise again. Woo, there's a new beginning. Only God knows the future. Jesus is revealing the future to them. Therefore, Jesus must be God. Amen. Let's get a little closer to this now. Jesus wants his disciples to be aware of the cross. So let's get aware of the cross. Let's see the course of the cross tonight. Amen. This is going to come to pass. And when it does, what he's saying is this will result in victory quickly. The Son of Man shall be delivered to the chief priests. Did you know he uses the Son of Man 
to describe himself more than any other term. In, in fact, the best I can study, he uses it more than 80 times in the Gospels, in the Gospels to describe himself. It, it, it represents his humility, his humanity. It represents his sovereignty. Would you just, just turn back, Daniel, just want to read it. Daniel chapter 7. Preacher, why is this important? Oh, I'm telling you because of these chief priests and these elders, son of man is a big deal. Daniel, the great prophet out of chapter number 7, is laying out some words that are very important. Daniel 7, 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the ancient of days, that's God, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and the kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. You see, son of man is a very important term to the Jews. It's very important to Jesus and Jesus is my hero and it's very important to me. He's used it more than 80 times, amen. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that Judas, one of my very own disciples, is gonna betray me and sell me for 30 pieces of silver and turn me over to the Jews, to the chief priests. Look at it specifically. Chief priests and the elders. Right? right. Let's read it again. To the chief priests and the scribes, not the elders. Preacher there, why not the elders? Most of the chief priests and the scribes are members of the Sanhedrin. Very few of the elders are members, but they're going to be there. Jesus would suffer three trials before the Jews. He appeared first to Annas. It was illegal. He appeared secondly to Caiaphas. It was illegal. Thirdly, before the Sanhedrin at nighttime, it was illegal. And they were looking for a verdict of death to condemn him to death. Now, they couldn't kill him. For someone to kill that condemnation, that verdict of death, must be delivered to the Romans and the Romans must find him guilty and must execute him. So we see that the Son of Man shall be delivered to the chief priests and the, and the and chief priests and the elders, our scribes. And look with you, second of all, they shall condemn him to death. Well, they had three meetings, three trials that were illegal. And finally, they tried to get some false witnesses and nothing would line up. And they, chief priest finally said, listen, he said he's the Son of God. That's blasphemy. He was the Son of God. Amen. They took him then to the Romans, okay? Didn't he say they'll deliver him to the Gentiles? Look what your Bible says. They shall deliver him to the Gentiles in the verse 33. There he goes before the Romans. I could read it in Mark 15, 1. When he stands there, he stands, listen to me, not one time before Pilate, not two, three times he stood in trial by the Romans. Three trials with the Jews illegal, three trials with the Romans and the Jews, they're bloodthirsty. Finally, Pilate tries to appease them. And he says, hey, you have a custom that I can release to you a prisoner. Whom will you that I give you Barabbas or do I give you Jesus? And they said, crucify Jesus, but give us Barabbas. You see, they've delivered him to the Gentiles. The Bible says in verse 34, they shall mock him. You know what they did in Mark 15, verses 16 through 19? 
They stripped him down, put on him a purple robe and a crown of thorns and took a reed and beat it over his head and bowed to him in homage and said, Hail to the king of the Jews. And they laughed and made sport of him. They mocked him. They taunted and they jeered at him. The Bible says then they will scourge him. You see, the Jews, if they were going to beat a man, they would beat him with uh, 40 lashes save one, 39 lashes. But this is not the Jews delivering the punishment. It's the Romans. They just beat him 39 times. They probably beat him double that, if not more. Cat of nine tails every time. Seth, get ready. 39 times nine, figure it out. 39 times nine. They would have 700 and 351. Two inch cuts every time. Okay? Every time they would have hit him. And that metal or that glass would grab into the skin and rip him. It would make a two-inch gash. 351 times 2 is 702. 702 square inches of lacerations on his body from his rib cage, his backbone, his hips, and his thighs. You had one little cut and you ran to the doctor and got a big bandage. And, oh, Lord, it's so bad. I was... And your Savior took 702 square inches of beating. His flesh hung like ribbons. I mean, the blood flowed down his back, and it's not over yet. He's got to carry a cross. He's got to be crucified up on Calvary. They're going to condemn him. They're going to deliver him to the Gentiles. They're going to mock him. They're going to scourge him. Look with me in the Bible. Then they're going to spit upon him. He couldn't even, he didn't have enough strength to wipe the spittle hanging in his face away. The Son of God, the Son of Man, our Creator, suffered such pain and anguish and humiliation and did not retaliate, never spoke an ugly word, and he did it all. Because he loves me. And he loves you. My Bible says in the book of Isaiah, I can't see. My Bible says in the book of Isaiah, it was prophesied, prophesied about the Messiah. Isaiah 50 verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from the shame and the spitting. Here's a man that was headed towards the cross. He was undaunted, undeterred. He was not dragging his feet. When they were spitting at him, he did not try to cover up and hide from it. He looked at him with eyes of love. As if to say, when they hurled back and chunked one and honked it up on him, and their spit ran off his face, looked at him and say, I love you. I forgive you. And if you'll break ranks with these, I'd save you right now. I hadn't planned on going here. I've seen a lot of people who painted pictures of Jesus. I've seen them paint pictures of him being baptized, of him hanging on the cross, of him knocking on the door. And I've seen so many pictures. But I've never seen one of him being blindfolded. They played blind man's bluff with him, slowed him through the face after the blindfolded him said, Prophesy, Son of God, who smote you through the face? But I want to submit to you, it wasn't just to play that game of blind man's bluff. I think they blindfolded him because they couldn't stand the way he looked at him. 
conviction and love. And I'm afraid we Baptists do it too. So many times, man, we'll put that head down, start looking away. Offering plate comes by. We don't want to talk about it. Somebody's getting ready to pray. We don't want to talk about it. Don't look at me. Don't call me to pray. Somebody's needing to testify. No, no, not me. Put that head down. No, not my Savior. Not my Savior. He's not dragging his feet. Amen. And he's not doing, listen, he's being made sport of. He's being laughed about. I've got to move on. My Bible says, simply, they shall kill him. He prophesied he's going to be crucified, nailed to the cross of Calvary. But we all know the crucifixion didn't kill him. He laid his life down. My Bible says, he, Jesus' words, I have power to lay my life down, and I have power to take it up again. They were shocked when they ran the spear into his side. Out came blood and water separately. Your blood and the water that's in your system will begin to separate right after you die. And within about 30 to 45 minutes, there's almost a complete separation. Hear me, that had happened. Jesus truly bowed his head. They did not take his life. He gave his life for you and me. Oh, what a hero. Oh, they took him. They buried him in Joseph's new tomb. They rolled a stone in front of it. They said, away with him. We'll never have to live around him or put up with him anymore. But on three days later, the stone was rolled away. A mighty earthquake shook the ground. And when they looked in, he was already gone. <laughs> And all those things happened so we could see he is a resurrected Savior. This thing did not end with defeat. It ends in triumph. It ends in victory, youngins. Amen. We can walk undeterred into the future with Jesus because he causes us to be more than conquerors. Hallelujah to God. Now he's clearly told them. But once again, I submit to you, if you read further in this chapter, and I won't do that tonight, but they still failed to recognize the truth. Oh, God, open their eyes. Oh, preacher, Dan, I get it, I get it. I don't know if we do. I don't know if I do. I believe all of it. I believe it. I just can't fathom how and why he would do such a thing. He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was born of a virgin so that I might be born again. He was the son of man that I might become a son of God. He thirsted on the cross that I wouldn't have to thirst in hell and Jesus came to this world to die so that one day I might go to his world and live I submit to you tonight that's just a few thoughts about my hero you stand to your feet I love him I know it's a Wednesday we've been an altar Sunday morning Sunday night I prayed all week I just want to go again, young. He's my hero. 
You knew your hero was come to town and you'd pay any price. You'd travel any distance to get close to him. I want to leave closer to him than I was when I got in. <laughs> and I want to worship him tonight. I want to call upon his name. Our Father and our God, Lord, we're asking your blessing tonight, God. We're unworthy. God, I'm unworthy of the least of your tender mercies. I want to tell you tonight, God, I love you. I praise you and I honor you. And I still don't understand why or how you saved me, but I, I know that you gave your life for me. And I thank you, God. I receive. I accept. Oh, God, I praise you tonight, God. And the more I hear it, and the more I read it, the more I love you for it. I'll never get tired of hearing about the cross. Tell me the story again. Tonight, my brother's come to the altar. Lord, he's asked for us to anoint him with oil. Who am I? So, God, I pray, Father, as we put this oil upon him, that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you administer the needs of his body. You would oversee healing. You would help this young man to walk into his future with you. Because <laughs> you've already ordained it. You knew this night would come to pass. You knew you allowed all these events to be just as they are to get us to this place tonight. To see if we would continue to walk with you, undeterred, pressing forward, without dragging our feet or delay. Lord, I love you. I praise you. In Jesus' name I ask and pray. Amen and amen. I love you, son.